podcast ain't played nobody. We've done S and P plus reveals before. This is you've you've never heard us do one in real time. How far away are we? Seconds, uh, minutes. Give me like sixty seconds. Uh, All right, to, so I'm gonna vamp to... until then. So as a lot of people ask, how you cook these actual numbers in favor of your bias teams. So are you just going through and filling in the numbers right now off the top of your head? Yeah, yeah just whatever I feel a team on. deserves. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's a very, uh, you know, it's it's a biased process, but, you know. You're a biased man. Yeah, pretty much. This, That's it. this podcast ain't played nobody. That's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. He's the inventor, proprietor, and currently cooking up a fresh batch of the S&P Plus Analytics um, he wrote a bunch of books. You can find them on the Amazons and the other places. My name is Stephen Godfrey. I'm but merely a reporter lost in the wayward sea of the corrupt college football world at 38 Godfrey. Um, how much more are we going? Because I can start talking about what I ate for breakfast. Well, I mean, let's talk about the game. We had One a pretty impressive Pop-Tart. game to talk about. I ate a Pop-Tart. Um, I have no remorse for saying that this would be boring. I think if you simulate it again and again and again, you're going to get boring more often than not. We didn't get boring. <laughs> we got the opposite of boring. Early on, it looked like maybe, you know, had they met, had had obviously they not made the Hurts to Tua change, Alabama would have um, whimpered off slowly in the second half and Georgia would have just run the ball. Right. But we didn't get that. We got something incredibly dynamic, interesting, um, a narrative arc, as they say in storytelling. <laughs> well, what's, what's funny is that we um, – because Alabama was – if if Alabama's offense was was merely kind of bad in the first half, then we probably end up with like a sixteen to thirteen kind of game. Right. But, but and I mean, really, it was twenty six twenty three. It's not like it was you know forty eight to forty five or something. But regardless, because Alabama was so hapless offensively after that very first drive of the game, uh, there was almost no choice. I mean, the more I think about it, the less it was. You know, it, it's being billed as like Nick Saban's biggest risk that he's ever taken, and that's kind of true, obviously. But at the same time, it wasn't necessarily. It, it was so definitively clear that a change had to come if they were going to move the ball that you know it almost feels like it would have been a risk not taking the risk i think um alabama won the national championship again meh um you don't need us to tell you that uh i think spencer of course spencer hall at uh, every day should be saturday and our 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 man at the flagship had the best way of looking at it which is just through the prism of the players themselves um the appreciation for what they do their enthusiasm i mean you really do have I think it's okay to say that you have boys out there. You have 18 year olds in this case where, you know, youthful exuberance is at an all time high and it's pretty awesome. Um, and, it, but, and it was, it was so youthful and so exuberant that Nick Saban looked youthful and exuberant for a moment yes. after the game, for at least a good two and a half minutes after the game. Uh, he, he looked like, like a first time champion, uh, really, really just soaking everything in. And that was crazy. That was really cool. I, I realized, you know, this is Alabama, therefore death star boo, uh, it's zero personality. It's killing the sport, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it was exciting and open and, um, it, it, it was a lot of the things we don't usually see in Nick Saban football in that he had to take, well, he had to turn the the game over to a freshman who was going to make mistakes. And usually his freshman quarter, the idea of a saving quarterback is the guy who won't screw you and won't make mistakes. Uh, he had to kind of, he, he had to throw that out there and risk the mistakes for the reward. Uh, and it paid off in a, uh, <laughs> in a particularly intriguing, uh, exciting way, but it was, it was a thrilling midday on Monday. I was, you know, basically exhausted and thinking, God, I'm so glad, uh, we're to the end of the season halftime. I was thinking, man, I'm so glad we've only got a half left in the season. Um, and, and then, you know, the game ends and I can't go to sleep for like two and a half hours afterwards because it was, uh, because of the way everything unfolded. If this was another school, we would be talking about this in, in in terms of legendary game status. I think because it's Alabama, it hurts it. I think it hurts um, it hurts our perception and it's our bias because we do talk about Alabama and the larger the larger um, effect on the game, effect on the industry type conversations. Uh, we can't help but they've changed and the Saban era has changed the way that college football works and. Um, that's okay. We should do that. And like on my end as reporters, I think we should, we should press and ask a lot of questions about the way these machines are created. However, 
had I, I was thinking about it this morning. If this had been another team that had swapped out quarterbacks for a true freshman, had a freshman to freshman touchdown pass to end the game, um, I think we would be talking about this in in a much more you know legendary, comparable to the Rose Bowl, the Vince Young game, comparable to. Um, gosh, you know, I, I really think we would be putting this in sort of a top five national championship game type of discussion. I don't know. Some people are Bama fans are, um, but I don't know if it, um, if it rings the same way for the rest of the, of the college football nation, because it's Alabama, because it is something that we are extremely used to. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of the one disappointing thing about this is like 25 years from now, this will be uh, title number X, you know, five, number five for Saban at Alabama six overall Uh, it's number, you know, it'll end up being number six of seven or six of eight or six of six or whatever that ends up being. It'll be just a data point kind of, Um, but living it in real time, it was great. And honestly, I mean, we're getting a little spoiled here overall. If you think about just, um, for for living in the middle of a quote unquote dynasty, we've had three straight extremely thrilling national title games in a row, um, <clears throat> and going back to what going back to 2010, you had Auburn, Oregon, uh, 2011 stunk badly, obviously 2012 stunk uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, but then you had uh, the Florida State Auburn game in 2013, 2014 was okay, Ohio State, Oregon, but then 2015, 16 and 17, that's four out of five now that have just been absolutely dynamite football games, or if they weren't for 60 minutes, they at least were for 30 minutes, or in this case, 30 minutes in overtime, and it's the 30 minutes you remember, so um, just just a lovely run for college football's title game. And it's funny because I mean, we could do a long drawn out series in this off season. And maybe we should about kind of like searching for the soul of college football um, and, and figuring out how to save the soul of college football and, and how, you know, I already plan on revisiting a lot of the commission ideas that I brought up in the last off season. Um, we get further down the road of, of people, more and more people accepting that maybe player compensation is something we need to look at. Meanwhile, at the, at the decision-maker level of the sport, nothing is happening. Uh, so it is kind of a groundswell kind of thing here. Uh, this year, the, you know, the general screwing of UCF meant that more people are talking about uh, have versus have not power versus non-power uh, and, and, you know, changes that need to come. Not that, you know, we always talk about P5 versus G5, like one day the P5 will just break off and do its own thing. Well, now it's kind of a need from the other direction. We need to do something about this sport one way or the other so that everybody actually has a shot at a national title. Uh, we're getting further in that regard and really nothing's happening at decision-making level of the sport. All that's something, these negative things on the table. Uh, But then we get seduced by a good two quarters of football and and we end the season with that same want to hug yourself feeling that we always do. And and then, you know, it takes a while to remember, oh, wait, right. The sport is starting to stink in certain ways. Maybe we should do something about that. Has stunk in certain ways. Um, You know, how you tie that into Alabama is is up to you. Um, But. I think we have to, for our own sanity, I know I have to, for my own sanity, at least appreciate the play on the field in a vacuum. Yes. And the moments on the field in a vacuum. It gets harder and harder to do that, not because of the names in, on the front of the jerseys necessarily, but just because of the, um, just an inexorable feeling that you have on, on how these programs achieve this point. You know, one of the things that you touched on a week ago and you do it, you're pretty good about doing it every year is don't let the end of the season affect, you know, your viewpoint of the entire, of the entire product. And it's funny as I've been at the coaches convention for the last couple of days and more and more, I think there's a resignation that this sport is separating itself into it. It long ago was a haves and haves not dynamic. And now it is the tiers have become much more treacherous. Um, where I think that you really only have 15 to 20 of these programs now that are going to be able to even go three to six rounds with Alabama. Right. And that's, and, I mean, that's and, and Georgia. And look, here's the thing. We're talking about Georgia as if they are not a step away from becoming Alabama. I really think if there's cold comfort this morning and yesterday morning, it's that Georgia is maybe a year away from this. This, this game could be played again next year. Yeah, I think that's the part that um, 
the one part that kind of irks me, like you're talking about, you know, we'd be treating this differently if it's Alabama. To me, I would be treating it differently if it wasn't Alabama having to overcome what looks like new Alabama. Um, yeah. If this was like an Oregon type of school instead of just a, a blue blood recruiter. Uh, last time I called Georgia a blue blood, I, I got some pushback. So we'll just say recruiting wise, they they are and have always been or, or have been for in recent history of blue blood. Um the the fact that it was just basically you know Saban holding off Saban Junior does make it a little different in my eyes. But um, the uh, in in the present tense, I'm just trying to focus on the fact that it was two really hungry, flawed teams uh, playing one hell of a football game, and we'll worry about the rest later. I need to take your advice. I don't know if I will, but I need to. Um, Why start now? A lot of people um, have asked. Um, one of the casual kind of bar conversations at AFCA was, uh, are they going to expand? Is this going to create a 2011 situation where Alabama rolls LSU in a very, very, very boring sort of dreadful game? Um, is this going to force the playoff to, you know, look at itself and expand? I, I my short answer, I mean, my personal answer is yes, they should, because I, I've long advocated for six or eight. Um, but, no, they won't. They're gonna they're gonna sit tight in the yeah. meantime. And as much fun as we have with the UCF thing, they're not going to blink at that. No, 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 no. That's not a concern at all for them. Um, and it just it just isn't. And we'll see. I think the most the biggest opportunity for cynicism for, for this coming off season might be in these next few. I think they said it was in the next few weeks when they start to when they name new committee members. They have a lot cycling out, and they're going to bring in new ones. Um, if it's just like new Tom Osborne, new former heavyweight coach um, or athletic director from P5s, if it's just basically the same thing there, then uh, there is absolutely no reason to think things are going to change because that's a pretty clear sign that we don't think there's a diversity problem on this board. We don't feel the need to change anything. Uh, We're great. We're great. We're great. Um, If they do seem to take a certain... If nothing else, if they get like what, what I think I was uh, Jason Kirk uh, a few days ago on SB Nation, uh, you know, proposed basically saying like what you, at least get some diversity or get a Sun Belt representative of some sort, get a Mountain West, uh, like get get the G five represented at the table, even if that doesn't change anything long term. And again, like for a fourteen playoff, if we're talking about a fourteen playoff, then we're you know I can't really justify all that well UCF being in a fourteen playoff this year, even though I was championing the hell out of them. Uh, if they even were, though they won the national championship, <laughs> right. Even though if they had been if they had been given the four spot, I would have uh, defended the hell out of it. But if I had a vote, I would not. I would have put them about sixth or so, something like that. My problem all along was the fact that they should have been eighth when they were eighteenth. They should have been sixth when they were fifteenth. And it proved that they don't even for half a second uh, consider those teams, no matter how, how good those teams would be. So that was my issue. So maybe even if we're, if we're sticking with a four team format and I do think until certain contracts run out like a, a decade or close to that from now, maybe, maybe we do hold tight. Um, you know, but that's, a, that's the sign that'll at least be a sign that they're understanding that, Hey, maybe this whole diversity thing, maybe this whole pretending this sport is really all about 15 teams and not hundreds and hundreds of teams. Maybe this is something long-term that will be extremely problematic that we should address. People don't think long-term though. So I'm guessing it's uh more of the same. I'm not as I, I think I'm I'm not as opposed to the situation as people might guess if you listen to the podcast or you know I just think that what, let's just be a little bit more honest. Let's let's acknowledge the paradigm shift and let's just go ahead and say all right, there's sort of this world, the power 5 world, no matter what you do in the most ideal of circumstances, um you know, this was there's idle chatter just amongst people in the industry. We're texting and stuff over the last two weeks. Like, did if Houston runs the table and, and starts with Oklahoma and beats right. State, is it a what kind of argument are we having? You know, two years ago, um, it's the same to me. It's not going to happen. So, right, let's that's that it, 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 let's just acknowledge it's Power Five plus Notre Dame, and then inside of that, let's start. You know, let's start changing the branding. Let's start changing the way we talk about it. And then let's figure out what the hell to do with the group of five. Right. I mean, basically, yeah, the the more evidence that we get, I mean, the more I think it is that maybe in the first 
if Houston runs the table in 2016, in the first poll, they're fourth or fifth or sixth or something in that neighborhood. Uh, and then after the simple act of, you know, beating whoever, as SMU or something, although they didn't beat SMU, uh, the simple act of beating teams on their schedule, they fall to sixth and then seventh. And then they end up, they end up in that range simply because while other teams were playing P5 teams, they got punished for their schedule again. That's the way it works. And I think with what we saw from UCF this year, with that single moment that I brought up a few times this year of Mississippi State beating Arkansas and passing UCF, a terrible Arkansas team, um, well, below average at least, um, that, that, that got them ahead of UCF when UCF you know, pummeled to some very similar conference foe that same week. Uh, that told me everything I needed to know. Um, I know Hancock last year, or I think after the playoff selection would have said, you know, Houston would have had a very good shot. They did what they could in non-conference, yada, yada, yada. Um, I still don't think it happens. I, I don't think we've been given any actual evidence that they would have been taken seriously, but you're right. I mean, honesty is the first step here, either honesty in that here's our system and it needs to be changed or here's our system. It ain't changing. And so G fives either need to whatever they need to form a, a, a new subdivision with the top FCS schools. They need to create their own little national title that they can play for. Uh, they can, whatever, create a, you know, call me up and we can talk about a champions league um situation whatever it needs to happen uh i i don't know like something needs to happen though and it starts with being honest um i think a lot of the arguments that they would present in defense of the current system uh they're just not there they're hollow i mean if you were to separate off some sort of tier of championships um you know the argument would be that why would people want to go to these you know why would coaches want to build programs uh, where they can't compete for the national championship. That's, that's already the case. That's already yeah. happening. Coaches are already, already acknowledging that. That's why really good coaches leave the AAC. That's why, you know, Boise remains an anomaly because they're able to hang on to good coaches for a very, very long time when it looks like there is no way in hell an undefeated Boise would get included in the playoff. Yeah, it's just, yeah, um, you know, and again, I know it's so painfully on brand that we would sit here and discuss this um, two days after that game and, and how amazing that game was. But um, the UCF thing, I'm going to continue to have a blast on Twitter because it's fun. And um, I, I, I do enjoy the conflict that fans have with with bragging about a sport that has such bizarre eccentricities and then getting infuriated when you lean into that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, there's a lot of fans. It's not just Panda yeah. fans. It's not. It's people being very upset that we're saying stuff like 2017 national champion UCF. <laughs> when you go I, back I in say, time, this has been the case for decades, not years, not a couple instances, decades. I, I, I will say a certain Orlando based columnist who I won't mention getting involved in the Florida governor getting involved kind of killed the buzz for me with UCF a little bit. It was less fun after that, but regardless, yeah, I mean, it is weird I love, company like, to keep. I'm going to stay on that side, but it is very weird company to keep. Yeah. And, and Jason, I, I love this morning's post that Jason basically pointing out, Hey, 2017 UCF national title, still more legitimate than 1941 Alabama. Um, and I, I would say that that's absolutely true. So and, and um, the, there's great fun to be had with Alabama being the other, t- the other team in this argument. Right. If it was, I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. Alabama, you know, two overthrows that pass and they're third and what, 26 and mm-hmm. they shank another field goal. Georgia wins a national championship. I'm not carrying the UCF flag as much as I am going to. It is for fun, but it is also to point out the inherent weirdness. Um, Alabama did this for years. They sell merchandise that that, that glorifies <laughs> X number of national championships, many of which are completely bogus. So uh, it's, you know, live with it. God, don't stop freaking out. It, it's supposed to be a weird sport. It's supposed to just and- not make sense. And if I get if I get annoyed with UCF, it doesn't matter. It's it's who else they can annoy with this. That kind of is the only thing that matters here. To the point, you just basically have to continue to que- uh, challenge uh, P five manhood until they say, "Fine, we'll play you." Uh, that's really the only option here. I think is to challenge manhood. Nothing else is going to work. Scheduling is would be a good way to fix this in the short term. And I just don't. I, I don't know. I'm going to revisit among the pieces I'm going to revisit from the commission stuff is the scheduling idea of um, basically. I think. 
the best possible thing we could do is scheduling. Um, if we're not going to, you know, set up a promotion or relegation system, which, you know, call me crazy. I doubt we will. Um, <laughs> the, the best thing, the best thing we can do is simply take part of the scheduling out of the school's hands. Um, the, the bracket buster idea I've brought up before about, you know, basically the, the, the first weekend in November or whenever we set that bar, everybody's paired off based on relative quality. Um, and, and, you know, I can go into a lot more detail, but basically, you know, you find out at the beginning of the year, if you're playing a home or away game, we rank all the home and away teams separately. We pair them up however we need to. And, and, and a UCF would at, at that point in the year have gotten, uh, God, I don't know, a, a, at least they would have gotten a shot at like a TCU. Uh, in early November or, or somebody of that nature, an Oklahoma state, maybe a Notre Dame, um, somebody of that caliber where they could compare, be paired off and, and play a pretty tough game. Uh, even if it was just like a Louisville or an, or an LSU, um, just a, some, a, a, a time, a, an opportunity semi late in the season for them to prove themselves. Um, and I, I think it would be tremendous. It would be a TV boon because you'd have a lot of a whole hell of a lot of uh, top twenty matchups in early or to mid November. That'd be great. Um, and I think it would be a, a big thing, even though we would have a whole hell of a lot of you know Kent States versus uh, Texas States too. Yeah. Uh, hey, that's a winnable game for them. So maybe they get involved for simply having a chance to 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 win a game. But regardless, like that's where it has to be because uh, who was it? Uh, Hancock or somebody the other day, like just accidentally said out loud what we all know, but they hadn't specifically acknowledged. He basically said it's all about who you play, um, and that sucks because it's not like UCF. It's not like they chickened out. It's not like well we could schedule Alabama in non-conference play, but we won't because we don't want to lose. They they belong to a lesser conference. They scheduled who they could, and they had a, a, a P five game canceled for a hurricane, and we still punished for them for that instead of their actual quality. It's not hard to judge actual quality adjusted for opponent these days. It just isn't, and yet we continue to say it's all about who you play. Yeah, I tell you why it's it, it's absolutely not hard, but it it's scary and it scares a lot but of people. But it scares a lot of people in positions of power within certain conferences because when you're adjusting for that, that what you're doing is creating a referendum on quality instead of looking at the logo on the helmet. Um, that scares a lot of people. The fact that you it can should, have flux, the fact that, that that your big your big time multi million dollar brand can suddenly become you know, not as important, not as valuable, not as weighty when you talk about these conversations. I mean, relegation, oh Lord, they'd be, they'd be <laughs> mortified. So let's look yeah. at the American real fast. I just want to do a little quick experiment. Um, just as off the top of my head. Um, and well, off the top of fbschedules.com head. Uh, next year, mm-hmm. Cincinnati had the best recruiting class in this cycle of the, uh, of the AAC. They're also first on the list. Um, they play at UCLA, they have Miami of Ohio and then Alabama A&M in Ohio. Uh, that's as strong Cincinnati's a school I've, I've done a lot of work with. I'm pretty familiar with like what, what their resources are and aren't. And that's as good as you can get. And it would never, ever, ever work. That would never like the committee. If they go undefeated is never going to look at that and say, okay, you know, suitable, acceptable. Um, yeah, you said UCLA. Yeah, UCLA. Yeah, UCLA would have to win the Pac-12 and and go twelve and one for them to even have a sliver of a thought. Yeah, and it still probably wouldn't happen. As well as Houston has scheduled, as as much as we have talked about Houston the last three years, next year they're they you know they keep a revolving series with Rice for obvious reasons, and they still scheduled their asses off and have Arizona at home and at Texas Tech, and that is not enough. It's not yeah. enough. No, that was, that was the other part is even if the Houston thing, we always use Houston as the example, um, Houston 2016 as the example here, even if that worked, that's a stupid bar to hold to these teams to, because how did they know Louisville was going to have Lamar Jackson? How, you know, how, how did they, like, you, you just don't, when you're scheduling these games, usually it's so far out that you're just taking a shot. And it's so basically you're saying, not only do you have to be good, you have to be good for two years. Cause that was part of the Houston thing. They did the, you know, they beat Florida state the year before. So you have to be good for two years. Uh, and then you have to just be lucky with your schedule that whoever you schedule happens to be really good. And that's just stupid. I should, we should call or, or get Hunter Juracek who's now the, uh, the 80 at Arkansas on. I know he had a hand in, in building some of these deals like Houston's 2019. They still have one more slot to fill, but they're at OU. They have Wazoo in Houston. 
that's a pretty cool matchup. Yeah. Um, and at North Texas, they would have to go after another P5 ringer. And even yeah. then, it's not going to work. And that's probably the strongest argument that I could find here as I scroll through. Um, I mean, I could do this for the entire conference, but I think you get the point. Um, what Memphis was great this year, they're in your top 25, the S&P Plus. Spoiler. Um, yep. The strongest game they have next year is they're at Mizzou. They have Missouri. Right. Then they have scheduled, let's see, an FCS Mercer and uh, and two Sunbelt teams. So what do you do if you're, I mean, what do you do if you're Memphis? I, I'm scrolling through and looking over the next, you know, through 2023, Memphis is in and for no fault of their own is working their ass off with agreements with Mississippi State, with Ole Miss, with Missouri. They are not going to be able to build a resume. It is not humanly possible. Missouri plays Memphis next year. Oh, you scared? You scared? I had completely forgotten. I remembered Wyoming and Purdue. I forgot who who they played later. Not, in the hey, year. not Why only did they play. Not, not, hey, not only did they play the Homecoming. tiger. Not, not only is it Tiger on Tiger next year. It's October twentieth. Yeah, it's homecoming. They, Why did you do that? that? Yeah, that's that's what they that's that that's their one. They they don't schedule FCS opponents for the week before Thanksgiving, uh, but they do now schedule non conference opponents into October, uh, late October. They decide to kneecap themselves halfway through a season. You got UT Martin. Hey, do you got the Pokes coming in? You got Wyoming. Let's just stop the whole program right now. 2018 Missouri schedule. The yeah. Derek, du- yeah. the, the Dooley era begins as such. <laughs> You got Drew Lock back. So let's not let's not uh, let's let's do, 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 uh, All right. Uh, so the Dooley era begins. All right. You get Drew Lock back. So I gotta make you feel bad about yourself for a second. You get the old UT Martin Skyhawks, and then you just apparently take a trip down stupid lane. Wyoming gonna be salty. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Purdue. All right. Then you get Georgia, South Carolina, Bama. And yeah, you know that's, what? that's how that's how SEC play starts. Georgia be- at South Carolina at Alabama. Between between your between your uh, SEC stretches, uh, you stick Memphis in there, smirk, uh, and then you get Kentucky, Florida, Vanda, T- Tennessee, and Arkansas. That's a salty schedule. Are you guys trying to pick it? Like, I mean, is there a reason you're sadomasochists? Or well, I'm not exactly going to be scared of w- of what Wyoming brings back now that now that uh, number How one draft pick Josh Allen is gone. What do they possibly have talent wise after such a magnificent oh. talent leaves? Um, How dare you, sir? And when they scheduled Purdue, Purdue had Daryl Hazlett at, as head coach. So um, that took a turn. Yeah, it did. But, and, and then Memphis, I mean, I don't remember when that game was scheduled, but uh, Memphis has not historically been this either. So, yeah, it's good luck on that part. But, yeah, th- even if you ignore – by the way, UT Martin has a spectacular logo. I love their logo. It's just beautiful. They blend um, blue into the, into the same UT color, the same Power T stuff, because I see yeah. the billboard especially in West uh, West Tennessee, they blend blue into the orange and it actually looks really sharp. Oh, but I mean, like, that, like, that, like, it's like a better mix with, than Auburn. The Hawk with the goggles and everything, it looks badass. Um, yes, even if you ignore UT Martin and Wyoming, at Purdue, Georgia at home, at South Carolina, at Alabama. Um, there are wins on the last half of the schedule, but whoa. Hey, Bill. And Derek Dooley is the damn offensive coordinator. We don't know. Dooley we don't know has begun. He is going to stink at that as he couldn't quite juggle the responsibilities as of, of a head coach. All I'm going to say. A snotty, standoffish lawyer has now become the offensive mind of the Missouri Tigers. I hear he's very nice. You hear he's wrong. He's very prepared in his interview. You hear extremely wrong. Uh, Bill, your S&P Plus is ready. It is. I'm gonna can, I, can I start at 30? Let's start at 30. Start at 30 and do five team bunches like it's a, like a little, we're just doing right. it on a Sunday night, okay? Yep. We don't have to rush, but uh, number 30, Virginia Tech, nine and four. It's a very Virginia Tech season. <laughs> uh, number 29, Toledo, 11 and three. Number 28, Mississippi State at nine and four. Um, very interesting team to watch in the offseason. Very, very interesting to see what Joe Moorhead can do in year one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan at eight and five, uh, screwing up that bull streak is at 27 and Southern California at 11 and three. 11 and three, Southern California is all the way at 26. Anything uh, surprise you there? I can justify it. I will say, by the way, there are some um, adjustments uh, coming within hopefully the next few weeks with S&P in terms of opponent adjustments and uh, some weights 
of certain factors. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of the mid-majors we're about to be talking about drop a little bit. Uh, but okay. you know, for the most part, I don't think there's going to be any significant rankings changes other than that. So yeah, maybe UC, USC instead of uh, mid to low 20s was you know 22 or something okay. uh, in that range. So keep that in mind. But yeah, I would say I, I don't really, USC looked good, about, looked awesome about three times this year. And so that's kind of like Virginia Tech. They were a lot closer to Virginia Tech than, you know, Ohio State, I would say. Number 25, Boise State finished the year 11 and three, very Boise season. Um, you didn't know about them. We talked about in the off season and, or the preseason and now it's the off season and Boise State won double digit games. Number 24, Arkansas State at 7-5. and five. Uh, Number 23, Fresno State. Uh, darling year. We could say darling year, right? Year one, 10 wins. I mean, associating Jeff Tedford with the word darling feels kind of weird just in general. Darling but, season, I know. He, he I know. Well. Here we are. Number 22, Ohio at 9-4. and four. And number 21, Michigan State at 10-3. and three. Did you say Michigan State? I thought yeah, that was a I don't, Michigan-specific reference. Well, that's the premier university in the state, though, right? Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yep. Anything surprising there for you? Other than, again, maybe the mid-majors being a couple spots too high? Ohio? Uh, no, other than Ohio, no. Uh, Fresno doesn't seem too high at all. Um, I mean, man, if people gave a SHIT, I would probably go in there and, and bug Jason about going out there and figuring out what the hell Tedford's doing in the Valley because that is a strong and pronounced turnaround. Mm-hmm. Um, there was... There was an idea a long time ago that you could work the California junior college system um, by virtue of your location at Fresno right. and maintain a pretty steady role of talent. But even if that's the case for a year one turnaround at 10 wins is pretty good. Maybe that speaks more about the conference. I, I think that's probably marked that for the offseason. Yeah, San Diego uh, State took a step backwards, not a ton of steps backwards, but a step backwards. And that yeah. helped. And it probably speaks to how much a culture change was needed there. Tim DeRuiter is a hell of a defensive coach. And I really like, he recruited pretty well, uh, you know, just in terms of the, the star ratings of the guys he brought in. Um, but the maintenance level of that program just didn't exist. And so bringing in a, a professional kind of a, just a little makeover did a hell of a lot of good for a lot of players who stunk the year before. Number 20, Memphis, 10 and three. Number 19, LSU finishes the season at nine and four. The world is, let, let me check. Today, the world is ending in Baton Rouge. Okay, cool. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, nine and four, Appalachian State at 18. There's your weird mid majorness. Um, Miami, 10 and three, is 17. And Louisville finishes the uh, Lamar era, unfortunately, with a really crappy bowl game at eight and five. They're 16th, though. Um, is that too high? They really they got hot at the end of the year. They basically pulled an anti Louisville and they they rose they improved their ratings a ton uh, in November when they were collapsing last year. So I don't really on average that's probably about right. It looks weird because they lost five games, but they uh, they were when they were good they were really 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 good. But that defense just I feel bad. I mean we we've talked about it before. Lamar had no chance at the Heisman because um, Todd Grantham left for Mississippi State basically. Um, yeah. and, and, and Bobby Petruno made a really, uh, it, it was not an even trade when, when he brought in sermon instead for grant Grantham. It just wasn't a good deal. It was, it seemed weird at the time because his one year at Mississippi state as DC wasn't very good. Uh, and it wasn't very good. I can already tell you where I'm going to be on week one. Um, okay. I don't know to, to what length or to what, um, level of involvement or access, but, uh, there is no game that's more interesting to me. In the first three weeks of the college football season in 2018 in LSU and Miami, um, as Steve Ensminger is poised to officially, officially, unofficially, officially become the offensive coordinator, uh, the Matt Canada era ends in the strangest way possible. If I were to tell you, <laughs> if I were to have given you this information six months ago, it just does not compute. Oh, man, LSU is in a strange place. Um, Miami is an interesting place. It's a very good matchup. Yeah. Um, Anecdotally, I know that we're in the middle of the S&P Plus. Week one, not as strong in 18, just as if you're glancing ahead. Doesn't have the same punch, but I think okay. the games one through weeks one through four are better and better I was, distributed. I, I was going to say, like, I'm cool with it um, if that's yeah. the trade we're making, yeah. Yeah, and that's fine with me as well because I think after Labor Day, the week two, three hangover has been pretty bad the last couple of years. So it's, I think it's it could be a nice trade for us in general. Um, all right, I'll, I'll, take your, I'll take your Louisville 
Take your Louisville legislation there. Uh, number 15, South Florida. Hey, South Florida went 10 and 2 this year. Yeah. Okay. No, no one fell off a cliff. Um, the, the Taggart departure hurt, didn't really hurt them at all. Charlie Strong knew exactly what to do in, for, on the whole. All right. There were times where they did not look as good, but they, they, were, again, volatile. they were very volatile. South Florida last season did not look as good as people remember them. They just caught absolute fire down the stretch as they really figured out what to do with that offense. So uh, UCF is UCF, and and we enjoy everything about those narratives, like we said earlier in the show. But South Florida is a double-digit win team. And damn, it just pisses me more. It just pisses me off more about the G5 situation. Like there are (laughs) – We have a series of good teams in this conference at the top tier of the G5. Um, All right, I'm calm now. Number 15, South Florida, they went 10 and 2. Number 14, 11 and 3, TCU. Um, Number, man, TCU is just, mm, mm, I'll just, I'll reserve my fawning for later. Number 13, uh, small Catholic school in Indiana is 10 and 3. Number 12, uh, Oklahoma State, 10 and 3. I saw the gun. Hey, let me just say this. Mike Gundy is inexplicably tan right now. And I would like any <laughs> theory, I'd like any theories you have about that. I saw him I yesterday. Saw, um, my Twitter followers um, pointed out like his, they were watching the coach's feed on Monday night. And I finally got a chance to watch it yesterday and very much enjoyed it. Uh, nothing like watching a room full of coaches react to something they didn't see coming. Just lovely. Um, except, cut. except cut who, who doesn't actually ever change. Uh, somebody else, literally literally goes, this, this could be your national championship. As soon as he saw a man cover, he goes, this could be your national championship. <laughs> well, he, I, I just love that everybody deferred to him. It was, it was beautiful. Um, but regardless, somebody like watching with his wife pointed out Gundy's hair. She said, Oh, that's gotta be a wig. It is not. It is not. No, it is not. It is not. I saw him uh, briefly in a group of people just kind of walking the, the convention hall here and said hello to a group of people, and he's just so tan. I guess he's been in, like, I don't know oh, where he's been. That's Dominican that's Republic doing something weird. I mean, there's sun in Oklahoma. Jet ski racing in some sort of, like, you know, uh, third world country. No, there's not enough sun in Oklahoma in January to be that tan. Trust me. Uh, uh, <laughs> what do you mean, me trust you? I'm the one who's lived in the – anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I've, never actually, I've never actually been to the state. See? FAU is 11. They went 11 and 3. We got to talk about FAU in the sense of like again, UCF buries all these damn leads. What? How much damage? This is not a trolling thing. Let me say this up front. I'm asking you because I only got to see two FAU games down the stretch, and the bowl was so absurd. Yeah. Okay. And that was one of the two games. How much damage could they like? What's the best team? Not necessarily they could have beat, but they could have scared the crap out of for like three quarters. Well, name a team that. Um... Auburn. <laughs> well, okay. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this around a little bit. Look at um, we haven't gotten to UCF yet, but look at UCF's ratings. They were second in offensive S and P plus, seventy fourth in defense, and fifty first in special teams. Uh-huh. FAU was sixth on offense, fifty second on defense, and thirteen in special teams. Uh, really, the only difference this year between Florida Atlantic and UCF is it took Florida Atlantic a month to figure things out. Uh, they, you know, they got they got pummeled. Any no no new head coach should have to start his first in his first game against Navy, uh, but they got pummeled by Navy. They actually it was also also remember it was raining really really bad. So what was going to happen? Right, you know? and so then you know they go to Wisconsin. Um, they get stuck in Wisconsin because of a hurricane uh they come back down handle bethune cookman go up and play a really weirdly just a horribly timed game at buffalo and they lose uh should have won unlucky not to win but they lost so they're one and three from that point forward they were ucf um they didn't play anybody worth like uh, you know the the the, uh, the worthy teams were in the first two weeks when they weren't quite ready yet but they come home from buffalo beat middle tennessee by 18 beat old dominion by 30 north texas by 38 west western kentucky in bowling green by 14 uh they survive a random upset attempt from a pretty good marshall beat went at louisiana tech by 25 beat fiu by 28 went at charlotte by 19 in a game they just immediately one and then put it in cruise beat North Texas again, a pretty good North Texas by 24 uh, and then just absolutely humiliate Akron. I mean, this was, they were murderous over the last two months of the year. And so they could beat Auburn is what you're saying. They, they would have, they, the way they finished, 
Um, number one, if they played UCF at the very, very end of the season when UCF was, you know, playing Memphis and USF and winning, but not necessarily dominating like they, you know, for instance, dominated Memphis early in the year. Um, I think FAU might, FAU might have been a better team at the end of the regular season than UCF. UCF then prepared and came back and played really well against Auburn, but they would have, they would have given a lot of these teams, a lot of trouble. They didn't pass as well as UCF did, but they probably ran. They be, all right. Here's, here's a better one. Could they have beaten Wisconsin in a rematch? It, because the time we saw them, they lost by 17. It feels, uh, it, it feels tough. Right. To say that. Uh, Wisconsin, although all, uh, the, by the way, was a few spots ahead of them. So, I mean, it's not like I'd be questioning my right. own ratings saying no. Right. They, uh, let's put it this way. I just pulled up their little box score. They had a nine, they had a 24% success rate against Wisconsin for that game as a whole. It would not have been 24% the second time around. They might, they still might not have been able to stop Wisconsin, uh, but they, they would have moved the ball a lot better. Plus FAU didn't have their quarterback for that game. They, they were playing a guy named Daniel fall par um, instead of uh, Jason Driscoll. So yeah, so I mean, they, they wouldn't have won. They, they, would have, Wisconsin. they would have competed. So they can beat Wisconsin. I'm not saying that to our dedicated Wisconsin listeners. They would have given them a hell of a big, a, a better battle, though. Bill, just stand by your, just stand by your call. I man. cannot take. I, I want to take. I cannot take. Guess what happens in 2018? What happens? FAU goes to UCF. There you go. A year too late, but there you go. By the way, FAU returns almost everybody, so it'll be uh, now. Granted, uh, not that this is a a topic to casually bring up. Uh, Lane Kiffin lost a certain offensive coordinator to another school. um, uh, A certain Uh, I don't think that's going to matter. But so I mean, it was kind of having those two minds come together made some really interesting offensive football. Uh, Yes, and we'll see what what will change now. But yeah, their leading receiver was a freshman. Their quarterback was a right. junior. Their uh, their stud running back Singletary was a sophomore. Singletary, by the way, nineteen hundred yards and thirty two touchdowns. He's awesome. Uh, so I'm really, really curious. Uh, you know, well, hype and all that stuff and home run swings from everybody and all that. that I mean, but that aside, they could legitimately be a top twenty five team again next year. FAU opens the season at Oklahoma. Hell yes. Right. Right. I'm saying. All right, number 10. I'm going to go all the way to one. Uh, Number 10, Auburn. Number 9, Oklahoma. Number 8, Clemson. Number 7, the Central Florida National Champion Knights. Number 6, Wisconsin. Number 5, Washington. Number 4, Penn State. Number 3, Georgia. Number 2, Alabama. And number 1, Ohio State. What? Yeah. What'd you do? Well, Alabama's offense stunk for two-thirds of the Georgia game, so they felt they basically... Bill. They were both at plus 20.8 heading into the title game. Well, Ohio State naturally stayed at 20.8. Alabama fell to 20.0 uh, for giving up a little bit more offensively than we would have thought and for really, really playing in, inefficient offense for a good portion of the game. I, I get it. I hate it. I hate it. And I'm hoping that this redesign, I will not, uh, the redesign I have coming up, I'm not going to, to, you know, turn the knobs so that any team ends up ahead of anybody else. But regardless, I hope that when the knobs get turned a little bit, uh, we end up with the national champion on top there. Uh, I always prefer it when that happens, but I get, I get it. Ohio state. Well, what? how are you going to turn the knobs to make somebody jump from seven to one? <laughs> I'm not stopping. I'm I not get stopping. It. I get you that Ohio State you better settle in. Ohio State was was ruthlessly efficient for most of the year. Laid one of the most spectacular eggs we'll ever see. Although even that game was was dictated a lot by turnovers. So play it again, and it's not that bad. Even if they're still bad. Um, so I, mean, I, I get it how it happens. The biggest thing for me is that like um, the percentile rating that I put on the Football Outsiders page. Ohio State's number one at 99.1 percentile. Alabama's 98.8. If you go back to last year, I'm pulling up last year's now. Um, Come on. There we go. Uh, Alabama ended up number one last year at 99.8. So so really, this was just one of those years where there really wasn't a number one team in Ohio. And and while obviously Alabama won the consensus title, um, a lot of people, it's pretty clear that that was not quite the Alabama, uh, that we've seen 
in previous years. So um, good for giving it to Ohio State this year because next year is going to be murderous in that division. Um, yeah. It's you know Penn State obviously loses a lot on defense plus uh, a, a running back of some note, <laughs> um, but. They also have a situation in which they're – I mean, that that Eastern division is just hellish. Um, I am so – Ohio State Ohio State's going to be fine. Michigan's going to be really good. Michigan State returns like 85 starters. I don't know how it's possible, <laughs> but it is. Yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, they, they, they lopped off half their roster and ended up 10-3. and three. No, the, the story, obviously – and we, we were discussing this in Slack a little bit the other day. For good and bad – and or, or just maybe and bad, Michigan is going to be the story next year uh, because either they live up to the hype that, uh, like I, I, when I was writing their 2017 preview, I was saying, I don't, I don't think they're going to be great this year, uh, but they're going to be awesome in 2018. Well, now it's going to be 2018. And, and so they kind of have to finally put up or shut up in my eyes, at least. I think a lot of, you know, fans and, and analysts from other parts of the country have been trying to pretend he's been a disappointment for three years now. Um, but next no, year, I wouldn't, I'll, I mean, all joking aside, I wouldn't say that. That's just, it's, it is a process and they've, I think they've shown progress. It's a matter of this maybe year, off some existential questions and offensive <laughs> right. identity, but, yep. uh, you know, no, I, like I was saying last week, the tactics come last. And so basically if they have the development where it needs to be, if they have a quarterback, a stable quarterback situation, which I, I mean, I can't tell you right now that they will, they could, but they might, we don't know. Um, you know, if, if that comes around then those tactics are going to look a lot better because they're going to have people knowing what they're doing. Uh, and those freshman receivers aren't going to be freshmen anymore. So it could still happen, but if it doesn't, that's also as big a story because he has now, because that's the year this is the year he has to prove like as you always say proof of concept it's 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 up for michigan next year by the way buckle up because that you get you get a really a bouquet of terrible narratives that you get to pick from when <laughs> michigan and notre dame play right. uh, on labor day no i think it might end up being on labor day or it's a primetime game now but it's week one so look out somebody's gonna have uh just a really really inappropriate amount of equity coming out of that game <laughs> and and so, somebody's going to have a spectacular uh, existential crisis oh too. my god it's gonna be great wish they both lose um bill yep how you feel about it overall feels good to me got a little mid-major tinkering to do yep um and by the way ohio basically did an ohio state impersonation uh, they were absolutely a top 25 30 35 team for most of the year blew it against akron and then suffered a hangover the next week against buffalo and then in their bowl game went right back to being a top 25 team again uh so they're kind of like ohio state in that like their most memorable game was one that completely clouds their overall number they were a very very good team good um i'm trying to think here the other nothing else jumps out at me um yeah, I feel good about this. The Ohio State thing really doesn't bother me at all, especially I, I, with the knowing that I'll get yelled at for it. I don't love it, but I can I can justify it. Um, Bill, yeah, what do you want to? Before we get into the start of the schedule for the offseason previews, because mm-hmm. it's a hell of a lot closer. It's always a hell of a lot closer <laughs> than people realize. It's less than less than a month. Yes. Um, what do you want to do this offseason? What are you looking forward to? I was asking our colleague Richard Johnson this last night. What do you? What do you? What would you say you're gonna do in the offseason? <laughs> what do you do here? Um, I ask myself that a lot. Well, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out what to give away now and what to keep in reserve. But I've got. Well, I tell you what. Then instead of doing that, because I know you and I are working on things and projects and special packages and stuff that we can't talk about. Mm-hmm. What's interesting to you? Well, that's uh, here's where I'll go with it. Without talking about specific projects right now, I think basically what I'll say is that. This past year, um, I kind of like okay one of the, one of the book one of the books I'm reading right now. I've got like twelve circulating on the Kindle simultaneously. I'm like between ten and twenty percent done with every single one of them, which I'm kind of proud of. I'm gonna try to keep, I'm gonna try to maintain that all the way through to the end. It's gonna be like liquor bottles, just finish a bunch at once. Um, Robot. I so I, one of the books I'm reading is uh, Michael Roman's uh, what's called Making of a Chef or something like that, where he went to chef school to write about being a chef. Basically, um, he, he actually went to culinary school. Uh, ended up uh, that ended up basically kind of creating a, a line of books from him about how chefs work and all that. I'm kind of like I spent the last year kind of sort of going to coaching school. 
Um, I kind of wish that I was younger, like Rollman was when he wrote that book to where I could, you know, let's say I'm going to try to be a grad assistant and, and do all that. No, I'm absolutely positively not going to do that. But learning the coaching profession has made things, certain things a lot more interesting to me and, um, learning how decisions are made and who does what and when, um, number one, I think it helps <clears throat> if you're, if you're looking from a numbers perspective, it gives you one more layer for understanding what numbers mean and how they could or couldn't change and all this. Um, but really, I have pretty big plans to continue that over the coming year, uh, learning the coach's profession, so to speak. And um, that's going to, in theory, produce what I think will be some pretty exciting content, hashtag content. How about you? Um, we sort of joked about it last last episode and the one before that but i've got to find a way to reconcile the soul of the sport if i'm gonna keep doing this all joking aside if i'm going to stay if i'm going to year in and year out maintain a 90 10 80 20 or 100 college football focus as i work in the media or sb nation or whatever i am in desperate need of finding things that are good and that's that is on me um I, I just it would be it would be foolish for me to sit here and say um, I'm waiting on change because the change is not going to no. come anytime soon. If anything, um, I've always told younger reporters and younger writers, your job is not to be an advocate. It is in certain instances after a lot of you know deliberation. Your job you, you're not in the advocacy business. You're in the honesty business as much as you can find of it um, and, and make some tough decisions accordingly. But um, the the sausage factory has never been sketchier. Yeah. You know, the health department, the health department reports are getting worse and worse. And, worse. <laughs> and so, um, I enjoy the off season, um, as a writer and reporter, because it gives you time to really kind of talk and visit with people. You're not on the game cycle of week to week, trying to sort of chase things. And, um, I, you know, I asked you the question because I was hoping it would sort of spur something inside of me outside of the, the general kind of, grossness that I feel um, about the state of things, but I, I don't think it's not, it, it's, it's not impossible to find some positivity moving forward. I just gotta, I gotta start doing that. I gotta start looking at that. Right. I mean, it was funny when we were first talking about this on Slack before we mentioned it last week, it was funny that, I mean, I, I mentioned the coaching thing. I, I, I have found strange positivity in talking to coaches, which when you're talking about sausage making and soul of the sport and all this stuff, it's weird. And I mean, I'm part of that is the coaches I've talked to. It's not like you could, there are a lot that would not leave you with the same feeling of optimism. Uh, but just in terms of different levels of, of sport from the P five head coaches down to the, you know, the, the G five GAs and all this stuff, uh, getting kind of a wide array and, and kind of understanding, well, I mean, just getting kind of a, a wide array of, of the situation has helped me a lot uh, in realizing that there are a lot of pretty good dudes involved, um, even if a lot of uh, the ones who make all the decisions in the sport are less good. Uh, so that, that's just kind of helped from a general health standpoint. But um, I absolutely the stuff, the commissioner piece that we put together last year, uh, the the issues uh, that I brought up in those it's, there's a lot of, of onion peeling to do to talk further about that, you know, being number one, being the, the player compensation thing. It's, I mean, it's funny knowing like all the reporting you did on the Mississippi state investigation or, or Ole Miss, but Mississippi state getting involved and all those. I was about to say, please don't, please don't frame it that way. You're going to get me killed. Yeah. I was about to say, um, it ended up being as much about Mississippi state, which of course I'm sure Mississippi state fans noticed, uh, <clears throat> in your work and, mm whatnot but um but that side of things you know I, I i wasn't getting yelled at by mississippi state fans so i got a different impression but just generally speaking there's so much of the sport that requires like all these wrongdoings that would be so easily or cle cleared up to some degree by completely by just changing the definition of amateurism um, and who can receive money for what and when and all this rule breaking and under the table, blah, 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 blah. It's not all going to go away magically, but it would feel a lot less dirty if we just get, we we're talking about being honest with ourselves. If just, if the sport is just honest with itself, if, if, if the, if the, if college athletics, I should say is, is honest with itself. Um, 
uh, we could clean up a lot of the dirt that has never ever been cleaned up because it's not like the sport was clean and now isn't it's never been clean but it just honesty is such a oh, yeah i'm not asking for something I'm, i mean i know I, i'm not that naive i just want a little Obviously. more uh i just want a little more um transparency mm-hmm. or you know let's just uh, uh it, there's so many elephants in the room let's just knock down one or two let's figure that out you know um let's Give me a couple ham-handed concessions. Give me a couple. <laughs> give me give me a little lip service at this point. It's let's just, student athletes here. From this is not necessarily what you're talking about, but let's student athletes make a maximum of X hundred dollars per year selling autographs. Yeah, just something to that effect. I mean, uh, the the I don't know if you saw it. It was buried in the in sort of the 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 speed of college football Twitter in during like a big game especially a title game. Right. But Sony was Sony tweeted like a tongue in cheek support of Sony Michelle. They took <laughs> his like they took his likeness essentially because they, right. have, they have a, you know, a homonym or whatever name. And it just makes me want to run my head through a wall because they essentially created an ad using a specific college football player, right. promote their brand and the kid will never see a dime from it. Not only that, like the kid would be punished if he did anything similar to that. Right. And yeah. No, that's stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of bigger things that we need. Like I still, the idea of schools paying players, I still think there are a lot of really tricky details involved in that. That's why for the big commission thing, I didn't even take a big stand in that regard. I bas- just basically said, let them make money off their likeness. The end. Uh, Cause that's, uh, it's still not clean, but it's cleaner. Uh, but that kind of stuff, the stuff like, uh, like um, comparing anytime we start comparing suspensions for certain, like unlawful behavior to uh, Todd Gurley, you know, losing uh, half, the last half of his year because he got whatever that was, $400 or whatever, yeah. $100 that was. Um, he, he, he knew he was breaking a rule, so there's that aspect of it. But just generally speaking, when you look at the punishment kids get for certain things, it's so hilariously ridiculous how much they get for different levels of things. Uh, and if we fix that, and, and again, we, we uh, try to be a little honest with ourselves, that'll help so much. It's got to save my soul. It's got to save my soul if I stay in this deal, man. It's just, uh, I think there's... Well, you're never leaving this podcast, so you have to stay in this deal. Yeah, but I don't want to be that guy to, 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 by the way, our large growing listening audience. And thank you guys for finding us over the course of this season and in the previous calendar year. But I don't want to be the guy who is just a curmudgeon, the burnout. You you (laughs) got to find good things because the good things, you know... The, the good things are what motivate you to ask questions yes. and, to, and to get excited. Um, or I don't know, man, maybe it's just me. Maybe like constantly working on the investigative tip on things. It's just exhausting. Maybe some people can do that. I don't know. Um, but uh, it was a great game. It was a great title game. Um, you know, take, take, take names and logos and athletic budgets and all the stuff that we know about <laughs> how they do business and who they yeah. do it with and just um, – just just appreciate it for what that is and if you can separate that you're probably a better human being than i am right now um but the good news is this it's a long off season i used to hate the off season now i love the off season because i think it allows you to focus in and you know in our industry what we do specifically it allows us to do weird weird stuff go down weird weird rabbit holes for we've got a pretty weird uh, one that lined up for SB Nation this year and i can't wait oh we've got several i mean you know what we did with 2007 last year was fun we're we're sort of taking the ethos of that and 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 trying some new things so that is awesome we love that um well i'm i'm genuinely excited to go see a couple staffs actually in the off season and do and do kind of some fun spring stuff and just try and figure out i'm talking about visits here too that's crazy who am i yeah where are you going? Oh, you, you probably won't say. Sorry. No, you can't say yet. But yeah, okay, All right. But yeah, no, I, I mean, like I said, getting into the coaching profession has, has somehow made me more optimistic, and I don't understand. Mike Gundy it. biographer Bill Connolly. Hey, damn! Don't rule it out. That would be phenomenal. Um, <laughs> All right, uh, Bill, I have to catch a plane. Yes. Uh, we didn't take any questions this week because we had some pretty obvious stuff to hit. Uh, we will be back on a question structure. Where we will stay uh, keeping on the Wednesday structure as well as we move into the off season. Thank you for listening. Um, if you found us late in the game, um, late 
in terms of this actual college football season or just recently, we do keep a weekly schedule. I know those of you who are, are diehards are tired of me always setting the, setting the table like this, but we uh, luckily and uh, we're very hashtag blessed to have uh, brought new listeners on month over month, week over week sometimes. So uh, we will stay on. I know a lot of podcasts go dark um, or a lot of just the coverage in general changes up. We are just going to go week to week um, as we do in the off season. If you, yeah. if you found PAPN and you didn't know that, I'm curious to know what you think this <laughs> operation is because um, I'll leave it with this. February 5th, is that the debut date? I believe so. February 5th, the Bill Connolly Baton Death March begins again. <laughs> uh, the S&P Plus team-by-team team 2018 season preview will start February 5th. Georgia Southern, baby. There is no worse status than being the first team out of the gate <laughs> yeah that means you were the worst team in the worst conference for those of you who are new i ranked the conferences and then i count up from last year's ranking within each conference so some belts on the clock unless the ratings changes that i do in the next couple of weeks change that i don't maybe they catch conference USA, but i doubt it i'm assuming it's some belt um and it'll be february 5th uh, ish i that's which is actually another one before signing day i had S- a- s&p plus has georgia southern at 120 right now utep is at 130 but right. because Georgia Southern is the lowest rated Sunbelt team, the Sunbelt Sun is the yes. lowest rated conference. Yes. yes. And so the other thing that I always get the question about for people, that's not Bill's 2018 prediction. Right. I hold off as long as possible on making those predictions. Therefore, uh, we use last year's until I'm done with everybody. So um, Georgia Southern to Alabama will take us from February 5th yeah. to usually what August 30th or August kind of 25th. Basically we try to have them done two weeks ahead of time. I bake in a little bit of off time here and there for different projects, but um, yeah, it'll probably end hopefully that Friday. Uh, fr- then the following Monday is when our big preview package comes out. That's basically two weeks before the season. So mid August is when it'll end. Um, last thing I'll say, by the way, regarding PAPN. Yes. The, the preview series gives us kind of baked in content to revisit throughout the off season. And that helps. But I will say the other thing that allows us to go through the entire damn off season is the fact that we get badass questions. Um, some of the part, some of the emails are long, uh, and it takes a while to kind of circle back to them and, and address them properly. But if we throw gravity out, is the soul of wit, even for this show. Uh, but if we throw out a, a little Twitter request for questions, we get at least ten or fifteen really, really good ones, and that allows us to stretch this whole thing out uh, from from ca- one end of the calendar year to the other. Positive note. Boom. See, our our listeners are what are what will save your soul, Stephen Godfrey. We got a long off season ahead. I look forward to it. Uh, that's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. I am Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey. We will be back next week to figure yes. out what college football is going to be moving forward <laughs> now and forever. We will see you on Wednesday.